Okay, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. We're going to carry on um, our study in the book of Philippians. If you've got your Bible, could you go to Philippians chapter 2? We're going to keep looking at that today and looking at this theme of joy that runs through um, the book of Philippians. Now, what the passage we're going to look at today, at least a section of this passage, is one of those bits in the Bible that if you've been a Christian a while or you've read your Bible, you've been around church, it's quite, quite a famous, if I say, well-known passages. There are many passages of Scripture that seem to be more well-known than others. For instance, many of you, if you've been around church a while, will know of John 3.16 in the Gospel of John where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's a particularly well-known, famous piece of Scripture. If you know your Psalms, there's Psalm 23 where it talks about the Lord being my shepherd. There's Psalm 139 where it talks about um, us being knit together in our mother's wombs and God knowing us even then. And that intimacy that he knows us, he knows everything about us. If we go into the New Testament, we look at Revelation 21 where it talks about the new heavens and the new earth and God wiping every tear from our eye and what it will be like in perfection, in glory when we are with him forever. Another well-known passage. There are other bits like Romans 8 where it talks about nothing separating us from God's love. And people like to cling to that passage, an important one. And then in Colossians 1 where it talks about Jesus being the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. This great passage where it talks about how amazing and how supreme Jesus is. Well, the one we're going to look at today is similar to that. It's one of these ones that a lot of people know, often read out about Christ and how we should follow his pattern and have the same attitude. And what we're going to look at today, following our theme of joy, is joy in humility. We've looked at the key to joy being Jesus. In our first one, we've looked at joy in loneliness, joy in suffering, and joy in death. And if you've missed any of them, you can catch up on our website. The sermons are there. If you're new to us and you've maybe not read the book of Philippians, maybe grab it, have a read through, kind of get into what God's been saying to us, and get into this great letter that Paul wrote. So we're going to look at today at joy in humility. Now, humility is not exactly a sexy term. It's not something often that is trumpeted as something that people should pursue. But actually, for Christians, this is a key thing that we should be after. We should know about it. And humility, if we're going to define it, humility is simply having a correct view of yourself. It's not having too high a view of yourself, saying you know, how amazing and awesome you are. Aren't I wonderful? I am God's gift to whatever this workplace, this relationship, this the world, but it's also not having too low an opinion of yourself that says I am worthless and I am useless and I'm no good to anyone or anything because neither of those two extremes are true. In fact, actually the Bible says those two extremes are actually sinful, both of them. Pride, you can have the pride that puffs you up and says aren't you amazing, the pride that pulls you down so low and says things about you that God doesn't, things that aren't true because God says lots of things about how you are loved and cherished and chosen And as a Christian, you're a saint and you're holy and you're righteous and all those amazing things. So humility is having a correct view of yourself. What we're going to look at is this passage in Philippians chapter 2 and then we're going to kind of unpick some of the things it says to us. So it's going to go on the screen behind. If if you've got a Bible, you can follow along or I'm going to read it up here. We're going to start at verse 1. It says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ... 
any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Good. Amen. Good stuff there, isn't it? Let's have a look. We're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at the principle being love, the pattern being Jesus, and the power being the Spirit. The first one, the principle being love. So when Paul starts out, bearing in mind what he's spoken about thus far, he's recently given a um, talk to the... um, a fee, uh, sorry, the Philippians about his possible impending death and about living Christ and dying his gain, then appealed to unity amongst them. And we looked at that last week about this whole kind of thing about facing death and being upfront about it, and it's all going to happen to us. And Paul actually saying, To live is Christ, that's what my life is about, but actually to die is better, to be with Jesus forever. And then he comes on to this, and it begins with a so, or in some translations, there is a therefore there. So in light of this, Paul makes another appeal to. The church in Philippi. And the first thing there is the basis of his appeal. And his basis of his appeal is on God himself. It's actually on the Trinity. If we looked into the passage, you see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit come out here. Now, the Bible teaches about God that he is three persons. Father, Son, Spirit. And each person is fully God. So the Father is fully God. Jesus the Son is fully God. But so is the Holy Spirit, fully God. And when you ponder on them they don't actually scan and make sense but that's what the bible teaches and that's kind of orthodox christian doctrine and has been so for thousands of years but that's what we say about god he is three persons yet each person fully god and paul weaves in the trinity as he's speaking to the church in philippi about here he begins and he says have you got any encouragement in christ paul grounds his appeal on jesus and what he's done he's saved them He's called them into himself. We've looked so far in chapter 1 that Jesus himself comes up about, I can't remember off the top of my head, it's about 15 times he's named explicitly. Jesus or Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus comes up. So it's all about Jesus. And he's saying if there's any encouragement from being saved through Christ, from being in him um, and, and suffering for him that we've looked at, if there's any encouragement there, then he says if there's any comfort from love, the implying here is this is the love of the Father. God the Father, his love has come to comfort his people and has been shed abroad in our hearts, it says in Romans 5. This love has come to us. It's manifested himself ultimately in Christ and what he's done, his death and resurrection. But he said, have you got any encouragement in Christ and what he's done? Any love of the Father that's come to you? And he says, any participation in the Spirit? As believers, we've been joined by one Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that brought me to life when I was born again and lives in me is the same one that lives in you. And you can go to any part of this planet and meet any believer 
from any nature, or nation or culture or background and tribe, and you may not understand them, you may not look like them, but what connects you to them is the same Holy Spirit. It's not a different one. There's not a better one for this country or that country or this language or this group. We are all joined together by the Spirit. We've all been connected. We all have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Who remembers that? Who's the old school Anglican here? They used to say, yeah, used to say that, didn't we? At the end, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. I used to think that was Anglican. It's actually biblical. <laughs> I read my Bible one day and think, man, God nicked it from the Anglicans. No, no. It's actually in there, right at the end of 2 Corinthians. Look at the last verse of 2 Corinthians, and it's actually that. And that's the fellow, that's what all believers have been joined together in. We're all connected by one spirit in Christ. It's fantastic. He's saying, so if you base it on this, we're all in this together. Wherever we are, I'm in a prison in Rome, Paul's saying. You're in Philippi, hundreds of miles away, different nation. I'm suffering for the gospel here. I'm chained up. You're suffering over there, but we're connected by this one God. And then he says to them, he says, be in unity is basically what he's saying. Be in unity. Be together. We have one mind. One love. Be together. Have that same mind, that same love that we've seen in Christ. Be, be connected to one another. You've got to be on the same team, on the same page, going in the same direction. Why? Because the basis, we're all in Christ together. We're all connected by the same Spirit. We all have the same Father in heaven. And because of that, we shouldn't be fractured and going in our different ways because we know, we don't know what it is, we know something's going on in the church in Philippi. There is some kind of discord, there is some kind of unrest. And the letter doesn't particularly spell it out to us, but we know it's happening. And Paul's saying, there's this going on in the church, there's pressure from outside the church, but actually you as the people of God need to be together. You need to be unified. You need to be in one mind, one accord, one heart, going in the same direction. And then what he says, he spells out, what does that look like? He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Selfish ambition is implying rivalry. I want to be better than that person, that person kind of I'm against. We see this all over the world, in politics, in sports. You always got a rival. It always makes a good story. You always got to beat the other person. He's saying that shouldn't be happening in the church. We shouldn't be trying to be better than the other person, the other person in the other row over there. That's not how it should be. He talks about conceit. Conceit is basically, I looked it up, it means groundless self esteem. Groundless self esteem. It's self glory. And actually, it's also empty glory. There's nothing to it, but it's, it's puffing ourselves up, making ourselves better, which you can see the link with um, the rivalry. The way I'm, if I'm a rival over there and I want to beat you, what I do is I build myself up so I look better than you. And Paul is saying that should not be happening in the church. That should not be happening. That's not how you should be. In contrast, what you should be, he said, humility. You should have humility towards one another, which is the correct estimation of yourself. You don't build yourself up because you're better than that person, but at the same time, you don't pull yourself down and say, that person's so much more important than I am. That person's so much more gifted, so much more needed than me. Woe is me. I am so low. I am so useless. I am so worthless. No one would notice if I wasn't here. That's the other extreme, which Paul says, no, we should have humility. We should have a correct view of ourselves. We shouldn't be acting out of that. And actually, we should count others more significant, which means our focus should be on them. Not that they're better than us, but actually that's who we should be looking to serve, just like Jesus is. That's who we should be looking to give our time and our energy to make sure they're okay, look to their interests. Because our natural default from sin 
is to look after ourselves, to look after us. How am I doing? My immediate interest. Sometimes we might sort of widen that to our family, but actually it should go wider still to the whole family of God we're a part of. How do we look to others' interests? How do we care for one another? And he says, the way you do that, how do you do that? He says, well, if your principle is love, that you should be loving one another, looking to one another, how do we go about that? Well, the easy thing to do is to look to someone who did it really well. And who did you look to? Jesus. So the pattern is Jesus. And Paul then goes on and says, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ. We have the mind of Christ, the Bible says. So we have that. Our mind has been renewed And he says, we are to follow the pattern of Jesus. And he says about Jesus, he says, you should have the same attitude. Verse 5 is kind of the pivot verse in that section. You've got 1 to 4 building up. He simply says, right, you should have the same mind as Christ Jesus, which is verse 5. And then the remainder of the section is actually, what does that look like? You know, let's outwork that. But that's what our focus should be. We should be loving one another, caring for another. Okay, right, what does that look like? Jesus Always come back to Jesus. When you're in church and anyone asks you a question, the answer is always Jesus. Because in a roundabout way, you'll always be right. Okay, so when in doubt, I don't know, Jesus. Okay, yeah, you're right. All right, so and he's saying you should have the attitude. What, whose attitude should you have? There you go. See, it works. You should have the same attitude as that of Christ. And what was that attitude about? Well, it wasn't about himself. It was about others. And this goes directly against what the Philippian church would have been about. It actually goes directly what we're about in this culture, because where was the Philippian church? It was in this city called Philippi. What was special about Philippi? We've looked at this. It was a mini Rome. It was, from a historical reason, there was a battle and all sorts of stuff. Philippi had been given this kind of um, special dispensation to be a colony of Rome. So the citizens of Philippi were just like the citizens of Rome, which means they had the same rights and the same kind of uh, legal uh, protections as if you lived in Rome. And what was Rome all about? Rome was all about Rome. Rome was all about Rome's glory and Rome's honor, and they just sent armies all over the world and and conquered it, and it was all about Rome, 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 Rome. And that's what they'd have been at, and the citizens of Philippi would have been really proud of that. We're Roman citizens, even though we're hundreds of miles away in what area we now call Greece. Yeah. And he says, (laughs) your attitude shouldn't be like that. Your attitude shouldn't be about Rome and how wonderful you are and all the privileges you have as a Roman citizen here in this city, which is a real kind of cosmopolitan center and a real place people wanted to be, really important. He says, no, no, it should be all about Jesus. And we have the same attitude in this world. Everything says it's all about you. You're worth it. You know, make everything about you. You know, what you look like, what you eat, where you go, how people think of you, it's all about you. And actually, Paul's saying, oh, guess what? It's not. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. And what does he say about Jesus? Well, he says a couple of things. First one, he says, as God, Jesus emptied himself. Now, he says, although he was in the form of God, this is pointing back to Jesus' pre-existent, coming back to the doctrine of the Trinity. Jesus has always existed since the foundation, before the foundation of the world. God has existed in perfect harmony as a community, Father, Son, and Spirit. So Christ didn't just appear, you know, at 0 AD. I'm here turn up, let's rename the calendar around me. No, he always has existed. In fact, we go through our Old Testament, we see uh, theophanies where Christ has appeared in the Old Testament. The pre-incarnate Christ has sort of turned up in certain things, um, certain times and places with people. But when Jesus came as a man, that was kind of the fulfillment of the prophetic. So he's always been here. 
He's always been around. And so he points back, although he was in the form of God, he was equal with God. He was God. He's one of the, the second person of the Trinity. He didn't assert his rights as God. He didn't say, come to earth and say, I'm God, let's, you know, everyone bow down and worship me. Let's just make everything around me. He didn't. He says he emptied himself of that. He chose the form of a servant. And we've already come across that word, and actually it's a strong word, and it could also be translated slave. You're like, whoa, God came to earth and chose the form of a slave, a servant. How crazy is that? Talk about a radical demotion. You know, from being up here, we've seen people fall from grace. Own up. Who watches Strictly Come Dancing? I have the miss. I was in the car. I had to go to a course on Thursday. And on the way there, on the way back, the radio's on. It's all about what had happened on Strictly. If you don't know about it, you are blessed. But there was some of the, one of the people had done something and it all come out. And they had to go on TV and apologize. And it's all about fall from grace. And all the people were tutting. The apology wasn't very good. And, uh, and they had to do the dance of shame on Saturday night. And people are saying they got marked down by the judges. It doesn't matter. But the point is, full demotion, full from grace. And God, but God chose this. No one did it to him. He chose to take the form of a servant, to come and humble himself. He became a man. He became finite. God took on flesh. We see that. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. Only 72 sleeps to go. The incarnation. Jesus became a baby. In a manger, not even a nice place, a feeding trough for an animal in a backwater town, in a nowhere place, the armpit of the Roman Empire. Do you know, that's where he came. And it says that he, he found in human form. So he, even as a man, he humbled himself. So not only did he come as a man, and they're thinking, if I was God, fine, I've got to go as a man, but I'm going to come in a palace and be king of the world. That's what I'm going to be. No, no, no. He was born in this, to a humble family that didn't have many means. He grew up doing a manual job. And he humbled himself, and he was obedient to the will of God, even to the point of death, it says. So Jesus humbled himself in his life, but even the kind of the culmination of his earthly life, his ministry, was his death. It said he humbled himself to the point of death. And then it adds after that, what? Even death on a cross. Now, why did Paul emphasize that? Well, for us, we might say, well, it's the cross. Duh. It's everywhere. Churches are built in the shape of the cross. There's a cross on your Bible. Some of you are wearing crosses around your necks. Crosses just are everywhere. But back then, it wouldn't have been like that. There weren't church buildings. Crosses only meant one thing, the most grimmest form of execution ever devised. Apparently, it was invented by the Persians, perfected by the Romans. They were good at it. They did it a lot. And they designed it as the most excruciating. Even the word excruciating, do you know what that means? That that comes from the, the Latin excrucio, which means from the cross. The word was designed, they built a word to describe the pain and suffering of someone who died on a cross because they didn't have any other words that were good enough. Agony didn't cut it. We need a new word. We need an extra word to describe how bad it is. Excrucio, excruciating. That's where that comes from. And so they devised this kind of horrific form of torture. So when they talk about a cross in this context with Paul, it only means horrific, painful death. No one survived the crucifixion. Everyone died. The Romans were good at it. If the Roman detail soldiers didn't kill the prisoners on the cross, they went on the cross. So they made darn sure you were dead. And they left you there for hours, days, until you died. That's what they were good at. And he says he pointed, Jesus died on a cross. But the interesting thing about the, the, the Christians in Philippi that would have rammed it home to them that we miss is that as Roman citizens, 
What's the one form of execution that they were exempt from? Crucifixion. Roman citizens were exempt from crucifixion. It doesn't matter what they did. It doesn't matter how bad they'd been. And crucifixion was only reserved for the worst of the worst. And if a Roman citizen did it, they, did, they didn't do that. It was too bad for them. Because you're a Roman citizen, you are exempt for that. And so Paul is telling the Jesus died. Even on a cross, that was what he went to. That's the form he took. That's what happened to him. That's how he humbled himself. So he was God, transcendent, far above everything, creator of heaven and earth, pre-existed before the foundation of the world, always has been, always will be. He came to earth as a man. Wow, that's amazing enough in itself. You couldn't get any lower than that. He said he humbled himself. He was a servant, a slave, and then he died. He didn't just die. He died on a cross. You can't get any lower than that. It's just basically downward trajectory all the way for Christ. That's his pattern. That's the pattern he's pointing. That's the pattern he's pointing us to. That's how you're to live. That's how you get guided by this principle of love. Follow the pattern of Jesus. It's just down and down and down. But then it says, what happens at the end? Verse 9. It says, you get the exaltation. You've had the humiliation of Christ. You now get the exaltation of Christ. It says... Verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. You can't talk about the death of Christ without talking about the resurrection. They come together. You, you, you can't split them up. You have to have them both. If there's no resurrection, the cross loses its power, Paul says elsewhere. He says without the resurrection, the cross is kind of nothing. It's stupid. It's meaningless. But because Christ died, then rose from the the dead victorious, he is now exalted. And then you can't talk about the resurrection without talking about the ascension. Christ goes to heaven. He's now seated at the right hand of the Father. He has now been exalted, vindicated. He has broken the power of sin. He has broken the power of death. He now sits enthroned above the heavens, ruling and reigning where he will do so forever. And he will return one day to judge all mankind, living and dead. That is what has happened to him. And to underline what that looks like, he says, what's going to happen with Jesus? He said he's been given the name that's above every name. That means his name excels every other name. He is Jesus Christ, the Lord. Christ means the Messiah, the anointed one, Lord, ruling and reigning over everything. His name is just above everything else. And what happens at his name? It says that every knee will bow. Every new When we bow, bowing is a way of paying homage. In some cultures in the world, they still bow to one another. The Far East and Japan, the bow is kind of a normal greeting. We don't have, we kind of have shaking hands, but that's not quite the same. When you bow, that's a show, a way of showing respect. Someone else is saying it's like that, but actually, if you bow, if you bend the knee, it's an ultimate form. You're actually getting right down and saying, actually, you are better than me. You are greater than me. And it says, at the name of Jesus, every single knee is going to bow. Everyone. Everyone has to get down. Everyone has to show him honor. Everyone has to show him glory. Everyone has to show him respect. And if you didn't quite get it, he says that actually it's going to be on he- in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's basically Paul's way of saying everything. <laughs> You can't say, yeah, but what about? No, no. Everything. Everyone in heaven, angelic beings, demonic forces, humans, the lot, the whole created order will bow before Jesus. They will recognize who he is. They will 
give him glory and honor, and no one will stand out. No uh, human power, no human government, no, no philosophy, no idea will stand against him. Ultimately, everything will bow and recognize who he is. And it said every tongue will call him Lord. Sometimes we can, we can show kind of a physical act, but inside in our hearts, it's a bit like, mm, whatever. No, no, no. Everyone's going to confess the truth that he is Lord. And even if they, they can do it willingly, or you can have it ripped from your body when you see him face to face, and you have nothing but compulsion to do it because that's who he is. He is Christ the Lord, and you will see him and you will bow before him. And of, to the Philippians uh, in the church in Philippi, Roman citizens, who were they told to bow the knee to? Caesar, the emperor, Rome, glory. And he says, <laughs> Caesar's going to come to nothing. 2,000 years later, guess what? Paul was right. He did come to nothing. But Jesus is still ruling and reigning. And actually, church in Philippi, you are to bow to Caesar as Lord. And our pattern as followers of Jesus should be that of Christ Jesus. And the final thing, the power is the Spirit. Now, we know, you know we should love one another. That should be our driving principle. We should be unified. And we have a pattern. We have Christ. We can read about him in, in the... Um, in the Gospels and the teachings of in the New Testament and stuff like that. But if you leave it there, you have a problem. Because what happens then is you think, I need to, if you're a good Christian and you want to follow Jesus, you're like, well, I've got to live like that. So I need to try harder. I need to love my family, my spouse, or my marriage, or my kids, or my, my, my parents, or my siblings, um, and my colleagues at work. And you suddenly think, they're horrible. They're really annoying sometimes. But I've got to love them. Do you know what? So I'm just going to try to love them. And I'm going to be like Jesus, I'm going to serve them. But because they're annoying, they just, they wind me up, they throw it back in my face. Sometimes I have bad days, and I get up, and I'm just cranky. And I, but I know I do, I'll try harder today than I did yesterday. And this is legalism. You get into legalism, I've just got to try harder. I will love you so much. And I won't think of, you know, all these things I'm thinking of because you're annoying, you know. That kind of thing. But actually, if you try to do that, you're on a hiding to nothing. It's going to end in condemnation and failure. You aren't going to be able to do it. You will just fall short again and again and again. Unless we have the power to do it. And the power comes from the Spirit. If you go back to the first verse, it says, We have any participation in the Holy Spirit. We are people of the Holy Spirit. We have been people who have been born again by the Holy Spirit. That's what it simply means to be a Christian. Sometimes people use that phrase, oh, you're a born-again Christian. Duh. It's like calling something a round circle. Do you know, oh, that circle's round. Well, yeah, because it's a circle. But that's what Jesus said that, especially in John 3. He says, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. You, nothing else. You can't do anything else. It's the only way in. And we're born again of the Spirit. Even Jesus himself models this. Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, it says. So even himself, he was born of the Spirit. Go to Luke 4. It says he was full of the Spirit. In his first sermon, he he read from the scroll of Isaiah, and he said, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me to proclaim good news to the poor, etc., etc. Jesus was someone full of the Holy Spirit. He told his followers in Luke 11, you need to ask for the Holy Spirit and your Father will give it to you. You just need to ask to be full of the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus told in John 14, when he's about to go to the cross, he says to his followers, his, sort of his final teaching, he said, it's good that I go away. Why? Because I will send another to you, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, and he will be with you forever. You're going to have me with you by my spirit the whole time. If I go, if I die on the cross, if I rise victorious, the church itself was birthed by the Spirit being poured out at Pentecost. They're in the upper room praying. Boom! Spirit comes. 3,000 get added on one sermon. Wow! You read through the book of Acts, you see a church birthed by the Spirit. I'm doing that Bible in a year. I did Acts 17 and 18, I think there was this morning. It's just the Holy Spirit coming and causing churches to be birthed, people to be born again, lives transformed. We are a people of the Holy Spirit. Paul even said in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, you are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It was a command. And the, the, the scholars tell us the, the way that the, the Greek verbs work is a, is a present continuous. So you get filled and keep being filled. You know, we don't, don't translate well in our English. But that's what it is. You should be full of the Holy Spirit and keep being filled regularly, totally full of the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote to the church in Rome, Romans 5, 5. It says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So how are we going to love one another? By the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives so we can love one another. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, and self-control. There's a song about that somewhere. Ask the kids. We are shaped by the Holy Spirit. We were born of the Spirit. We live by the Spirit. We are transformed by the power of the Spirit into the image of Christ. And throughout the days of our life, that is what his job is in our life, to point us to Jesus, to put the love of the Father in our heart, that we are slowly being transformed, repenting of our sin, serving one another, telling others about Jesus. That's what we do. And so without that, we can't live lives of humility. We can't live lives after the pattern of Jesus. We cannot do it in our own strength. You are doomed to failure if you try. We need to be men and women dependent totally on the power of God. We aren't meant to be people who seek our own authority and our own position and our own power, but we are men and women who want to seek the glory of Christ above everything. And the way we do that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are to seek the lowest place, seek to serve others, seek to seek their good, not because we think we're worthless, but we have a correct opinion of ourselves. The Freedom in Christ course that we run here is excellent at putting that in us. The truths you have to stay at, this is what I'm like. So we don't get a too inflated opinion of ourselves, but at the same time we don't get too low opinion of ourselves of how worthless we are. The enemy wants you to think you're worthless and useless. It will speak lie after lie over you. It will use others to speak lies over you. But actually there's a truth that we're righteous and holy in God and we're saints. But the whole reason we're that is not because of us, because of Christ. So we keep ourselves in balance. And many of you are going to serve in positions where you're actually going to be exalted, you're going to be raised up, you're going to have positions of power and authority. And unless you need to be inoculated before you get there, or if you already find yourself in there, that when you do, you recognize that you're not there for your glory, you're there for Jesus' glory. 
You're there for his honor and his fame. And whatever you find yourselves doing, whatever workplace you find yourself in, whatever position you find yourself in, when you're over others or you're under others, where you have great influence or you feel like you have little influence, we are there for Christ's glory and his alone. We're there to honor him and model his pattern by serving. Even if you're in leadership and position of influence, you are there to serve your team, serve the company, the setup you're a part of. That is what he has called us to do. Last thing, let's have a few practical thoughts on this and then we're going to pray. So, how are we going to get good at being humble? This made me smile when I was preparing this and thinking, if I tell you how to get good at humility, because I'm really good at it, there's an irony there, isn't there? Because I'm so humble, let me pass on stuff to you to teach you how to be humble. It kind of just undercuts itself, (laughs) doesn't it? But let me just share some things that I've learned and I've stolen off others over the years that hopefully we together can grow um, as followers of Jesus. Here's a few things. Write these down. First one, be full of the Spirit. Be full of the Holy Spirit. Seek all and every opportunity to be prayed for to be full of the Holy Spirit. In your life groups, in church, on your own. Make it your practice every morning to pray Lord, fill me with your spirit for this day. Recognize your dependence on Jesus at the beginning of the day. Holy Spirit of God, come fill me. Transform me. Make me more like Jesus. Use me today for your glory. Remind me that this isn't all about me. This is all about you and everything you do. Pray for that. Write that verse out in Ephesians 5. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and put it somewhere so you remember it every day. Second thing, here's some practices that I think would be great to bookend your day to help you. At the beginning of your day, make a point of coming under God's authority and you recognizing your dependence on him. Read your Bible and pray. Whether you've got five minutes or 50 minutes, whether you can just memorize a verse, pray a prayer, God, fill me with your spirit so I may serve you today or you've got a bit longer to do it. Make it a daily point at the beginning of your day as you get up before, before everything breaks all over you like a wave poof, recognize that it will help you it will transform you it also I think is one of those ultimate acts of humility because it realizes you're not in charge <laughs> it says again I can't do this I need help this world doesn't revolve around me it's your world and I'm going out into a battleground I need help I need my armor I need your spirit, I need grace to do all the things that you have called me to do today. So make that a point at the beginning of your day to recognize your dependence on him. At the end of your day, take a moment just before you close your eyes as you're lying with your head on the pillow and acknowledge everything in your day that has gone well and that is good is ultimately comes from God. <laughs> that time where you nailed it where you just hit it out of the park, where you, you prayed for someone over there, they got healed. You witnessed to a colleague over there all about Jesus and they repented of their sin. Where you gave that presentation at work and kind of everyone was like, that's amazing, that's what we're going to do. When your targets were up, when you got the kids to school and they walked in like angels, not punching and kicking each other, on time, through the traffic, into the classroom, everyone, every other parent in the playground was looking and going, oh my goodness, that is the most amazing parent I've ever seen in my life. Whatever's happened, anything good, lie down, close your eyes and say, the only reason that happened is because of you, Jesus. 
thank you for your grace on life. Any praise that's been given to you to tell you how wonderful you are, how amazing you are at your job, or what a great friend you are, or how well your kids behave, how well you've raised them. At the end of the day, lie down, close your eyes and say, the only reason I got that praise is for you, Jesus. Take the praise when it comes. Thank you. Yes, I am an awesome parent. Thank you. Just take it. Don't do that. Don't do that stupid thing Christians do. Well, it wasn't me. It was Jesus. Well, who was, who, who was, who was doing it when it was all going wrong? Do you know what I mean? Jesus doesn't make mistakes, you know. You did well. Just say thanks. You know, that was, you know. But at the end of the day, recognize it all comes back to Jesus. Number three, encourage others. Make it your mission to encourage those around you. Be specific and be genuine. Just find anything. Your colleagues at work, your, your spouse, your kids, Anyone you come across, just encourage them in what you do, particularly if they do something you do and they do it better. That's a great way. That was a really good sermon. You did so well expounding the passage and people really met with God. I am so thrilled for you. You know, that kind of thing. But if you're doing that genuinely, putting, just encouraging others puts an attitude in our heart that it's not all about us, particularly if they're good at something you're good at, and you can just genuinely say, do you know what? Jesus was glorified. That's okay. That's okay. Let's be people who encourage others. Invite correction. Oh, these are fun, aren't they? Find someone you love and you know, and say to them, we've been friends for a while, we know each other. If you see areas in my life that are not honoring to God, Please tell me. Please take me aside. Please be gentle. Please be loving. But tell me where I'm messing up. The way I speak to my wife. The way I speak to my kids. The, my attitude towards work or my boss or my colleagues or church or whatever. Have that conversation. Now, this isn't permission for the, you know, the Pharisees among us to go, right, I have my list here. Let me go through all your faults. It's got to be born out of relationship. It's got to be born out of love. It's usually done one-to-one is best. Let me just take you aside. I love you. You know I'm, you know I'm for you. Let me just talk to you about something. Invite correction. But the key there is go invite. Make some friends and say, you tell me. You tell me what's wrong with my life. You see me. You see my marriage. You've seen it in action. How am I doing? Am I that idiot husband who's just ignoring his wife and ungrateful? Or what, what am I doing? What about work? And say, you know, what's my attitude? When you hear about me talk about my workplace, what comes across to you? Is it always negative and miserable? I'm always running down my boss or the company or the, the way things are run. Invite correction. The next one, in light of what we've looked, in, we've looked at over the last few weeks, respond well to trials. They are coming. They are out of your control. But how we respond to them gives a good indication of our heart and where we're standing before Jesus in those. Seek prayer in those times. Seek guidance. Be honest and open about it. Share in your life groups and your friendship groups. This is what I'm going through. Don't try and do it all yourself. Don't try and kind of think, I can cope with this. You can't. It will destroy you. You need to be in community. That's why God made the church. So we go through things like this together. Seek help, seek prayer, seek people standing alongside you. Just be honest and open. This is going on and it's tough. It will help breed humility in your life. Last one. just recommend a book to you that I read 12 years ago. 
um, I've got called Humility by C.J. Mahaney. I think it was an absolutely fantastic book on this whole area of humility. I've been kind of delving into again when I've been looking at this, but I encourage you, if you, you're a reader, you like to read, it's not a particularly long book, but it's a great book um, on this whole area of humility. Um, and just if you want to get into that and you realize that's something else, so maybe you want to just read of that, stick it by your bedside, read a chapter a day or something, but there's some other things that you can do there. All right, we're going to stand and finish now. And what I want to do is all those things I've given you are great. You know, they're application points. You can turn away and look at it. But actually, what I really want is encounter with Jesus now. What I really want for you guys is to have a moment with God now where he does something in your hearts. Because Paul says your attitude should be that of Christ Jesus. And I think that begins first and foremost with a commitment. With something from you saying, do you know what? That is something I want to pursue. That is something I want to set the trajectory of my life after. And unless you do that now, all the rest of the stuff we've gone through kind of will just will fall off you as you walk out the door. What was he journeying on about again? There's something about a book and I've got to do what at the end of the day? It'll just go. And so what I want to do now is just take a moment and pray for the Holy Spirit to come and do something in you now. But the only way that works is if you are willing to respond to that. And all you need to do is it's a heart response. It's not anything you've got to do. You haven't got to wave yourself around or run to the front. It's actually a heart response in faith to Christ to say, that's what I want. That's what I want to live by. That's the direction of my life. That's what I want to go after, Lord. That's what I want you to do in me. And however frail you feel, and however weak you feel, and however bad your week's been, there's a moment now which just you and Jesus. And the voice in your head is saying, you're rubbish, you shouldn't do that. They're the enemy. You're God's child. He loves you. You're his sheep. You know his voice. You're righteous. You're holy. You're a saint. You've been adopted into his family. He is your father in heaven. All those things are true, regardless of what happened yesterday or today. Okay, and I'm just going to pray for you guys that there is a moment where God's by spirit comes and meets with you. And then we're going to worship Jesus. So if, that's, if you're game for that, do you want to just stand up? Do you want to open your hands, close your eyes, and just put your focus on him? Because it's all about him. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God was high, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come now and just fill your people. If you want this, just ask for it yourself. Respond in faith yourself. If you're not a Christian here, you're not a believer here, we say we love you. We're for you. We're so glad you're amongst us. But if you're not a believer here, you need to 
become one. You need to be born again by the Spirit. You need to turn away from your old way of life. You need to repent of your sin and come to Jesus. You can do that right now and you see if you want. You just pray. God, recognize your sin before him. Recognize the way you've fallen short. You've lived for your own life, your own glory. Put your faith and trust in him. If you want to ask questions, I'd love to chat with you at the end. Kind of work out what that looks like. Pray with you. But if you're a believer here, I want to pray, Holy Spirit God, would you come and fill us as your people? Would you come and fill us as your people, Lord? We want to say, as your people today, we want to have the same attitude as you, Lord, when you walk the earth. That we look out for the interests of others. Lord, that we seek to be unified as a people. Not, 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 not looking to be rivals and be better. Not to puff ourselves up and make ourselves good. Lord God, please save us from that, that pride that comes from saying we're better than the other person because we're smarter or got more money or a better job or we, just we've been a Christian longer or whatever it is. Lord God, I also pray you save us from the other end of the spectrum which just says, another form of pride that says we're rubbish, we're useless, we've failed, we've, we've messed up in this area, we've messed up in this area, we're worthless, we're no value here. They're all lies. If you believe any of those lies, just repent of them now and turn to Jesus because they're not true. You've been saved. You've been born again. You are a child of God. You're righteous. You're holy. God loves you with an everlasting love that cannot increase or decrease by your actions. And Lord God, we want to say, we want to set our lives to following you, Jesus. We want to set our lives to following you. We want to seek humility as something that is vital in following you. We want to follow and model your attitude of servant-heartedness, serving those around us, serving the poor, the weak, the broken, the outcasts. God, would you pour out your love in our heart because we can't cause it to bubble up. We need help. We need your love to be shed abroad in our heart. Holy Spirit, God, we thank you that you've done that. We cause, ask you to cause it to grow and multiply in us. Teach us to love the unlovely. Love our families. Love our kids. Love our spouse. Love our colleagues at work and our bosses and those we serve. Those are our neighbors, particularly those who, who wind us up and we find difficult for so many reasons. Lord, give us a heart to pray for those people. You know you love someone if you can pray for them and pray good things for them, not that God would smite them. No, pray good things. Pray that God would bless them and multiply them and save them and fill them with his spirit. Lord Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We want to be like you, Lord. And God's people said, amen.